Awesome. Hey, this morning, I'm going to be sharing out of the Gospel of Luke in, in, in chapter 14. <clears throat> I love the author, Luke. He is a physician by trade. He is a Gentile by ethnicity. He writes about the nature and ministry of Christ in a forensic fashion, including details that some of the other gospel authors skip over. He also writes the book of Acts, which serves as the history of the New Testament church. And I just love the way that Luke talks about Jesus. And in Luke 14, it records a lunch that Jesus is having in the house of a prominent Pharisee. And what unfolds in the midst of that conversation, I believe reveals principles and characteristics, not just about the nature of God, but also about the nature of us. And I just believe that by God's spirit, he's gonna speak something fresh and new to your life today. In Luke 14, starting in verse one, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says this, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, watch, he was being carefully watched. On the Sabbath, which was Saturday, the Jewish day of rest, Jesus is eating lunch in the house of a prominent Pharisee, and he was being carefully watched. That phrase, carefully watched, in the Greek, translates to this idea, to watch with a malicious motive, to study with a desire to scrutinize, to observe with insidious intent. Watch, to operate with a predisposed offense. You know what's funny? 2,000 years later, religious folks are the exact same way today. Jesus could be sitting in their living room, but the only thing that they are looking for is a way to be offended. We had this a little bit on Sunday night. Before we ever got even through the first worship song, somebody ran up on stage acting foolish, had to have security, haul them out. I thought to myself, certainly, these are the Satanists upset that the church of Jesus Christ is worshiping him. Certainly, this is resistance from the enemy himself. But I woke up the next day to two emails from the person that we had to have removed. They wasn't a Satanist at all. They was a religious person who was upset that we didn't ask their permission to plant a church in Seattle. What if instead of getting offended that God would use someone you wouldn't save, someone you wouldn't promote, someone that you wouldn't choose? You would just stay thankful that despite all your mistakes, God still chose you. What if instead of getting offended that someone else is having success, you celebrated their wins until God gave you some of your own? What if suspicion, offense, religiosity, and a critical spirit have kept more people out of the kingdom of God than the devil ever imagined? See, it is offense that keeps you on the sidelines while the fields are waiting to be harvested. 
Listen, friend, I will partner with anyone from anywhere who believes the Bible and worships Jesus in an effort to see the Northwest transformed. I'll partner with the Baptist, the Methodist, the Calvinist, the Lutherans, the Presbyterians. I'll even partner with the Anglicans, people who speak in tongues and people who don't, folks who love organized religion and folks who love disorganized religion. I'll partner with the old, the young, the black, the white, the male, the female, the Democrats, the Republicans, why? Because the harvest is simply too great to allow minor differences to become major roadblocks. Now watch, offense leads to division and division is the enemy's preferred weapon against the body of Christ. Hear me this morning. The enemy doesn't have to kill a church to stop their advancement. He just has to divide them because the divided church will kill itself. A divided family, they'll kill themselves. A divided marriage, a divided business, it will kill itself. It's no wonder Jesus says in Mark 3, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Here's what I've learned. Offended is a moment, but offense is a choice. Offended is a bad day. Offense is a bad life. <laughs> Offended is a natural realm activity. Offense is a spiritual realm activity. Listen, I can't control what happens to me, but by the grace of God, I can manage the response of my spirit. See, offense takes a moment of injury and turns it into a lifetime of toxicity. Only you get to decide how long you're gonna carry that spirit, but I can promise you this, the spirit of offense will cause you to feel distant from Jesus, even when he is sitting at the dining room table of your heart. The Pharisees are offended that Jesus would eat in the home of sinners. The Pharisees, they are offended that Jesus would minister to Samaritans. They are offended that Jesus would forgive the sin of the adulterous woman. Hear me carefully this morning, Pursuit. The spirit of religion and the spirit of suicide are the same spirit for they are both trying to kill what God loves. Being perpetually offended is not a personality type. It's a toxic decision that some folks have made and in doing so, built their entire personalities around. When your personality is built on a fence, you look for ways to be hurt and then act surprised when the spirit of trauma follows you around. When your personality is built on a fence, you have already decided that you're gonna have a negative outcome or experience and now you're just looking for evidence to reinforce that claim. If you're gonna get offended, at least get offended about the right stuff. When will someone get offended that Seattle is going to hell? When will someone get offended that lawlessness and addiction has taken over the streets? When will someone get offended that more churches shut down in the city than start in the city? Listen, friend, the enemy cannot have the Northwest and he cannot have the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. Yo, in this room today, there are literally hundreds of preferences, likes, dislikes, differing views and ideas. But hopefully what unites us, which is spiritual, is greater than what divides us, which is carnal. Let me just give you some examples of the feedback that we've gotten, the emails we've received over the last season. 
I think sometimes it's funny to laugh at these things, but this is the reality of the way that people operate. Somebody got offended because they liked the old carpet better than the new carpet. Uh, they didn't give $1 for the old carpet or the new carpet, but they've got an opinion. Somebody emailed in, they were offended. They liked my old haircut better than my new one. Somebody else, they liked the lights, but they didn't like the music. Somebody else liked the music, but they didn't like the flags. Somebody else liked the flags, but they was upset that there wasn't coffee in the lobby. And so we put in a coffee bar in the lobby. But then they didn't like that because now we were trying to commercialize the church. They didn't like it when I wore a hat because it was too casual. Didn't like it when I wore a suit because it was too formal. I preached too long one Sunday. Didn't preach long enough the next Sunday. Worship was too loud and then it was too quiet. The sanctuary was too hot and then it was too cold. And here's my favorite. Somebody was upset because I was mean to them in a dream they had about an event that didn't even take place. And here's what I've realized. I refuse to live out my life trying to appease religious critics. I am giving the next 30 years to hosting the presence of God and watching him transform the region. In fact, just this week, I got a special bin at work where all the offended people can submit their complaints. Now watch verse two. And behold, there was a man who was suffering from abnormal swelling in his body. In the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the religiosity, in the midst of the critical spirit, there was a man who was suffering. And Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? It's interesting. Before Jesus ever addresses the sickness in the flesh, he addresses the sickness in the spirit of the room. And he does that by asking a question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? If I could rewrite that question for our context today, it would sound like this. Do I have permission to do things in a way that challenges your preconceived ideas and notions about the way that I work? If this church looks different than the one that you came from, are you gonna be good with that? If the work I do irritates your religious box, are you gonna be okay with that? If this next season challenges you in ways that your last season didn't, are you gonna be able to make peace with that? Religious folks ask the question, is it lawful to heal? Revived folks ask the question, is it lawful for the church not to operate in power? Is it lawful that so many congregations are dead? Is it lawful that the city is lost? Is it lawful that the enemy is harassing the people of God? Hear me today and make no mistake. Jesus is asking the Pharisees a question, but he is not asking the Pharisees their permission. Is it lawful to heal? Yes, it is. Is it lawful to forgive? Yes, it is. Is it lawful to save, heal, deliver, and restore? Yes, it is. I refuse to settle for religious arguments 
because I've encountered the one who has healed the suffering of my soul. The Pharisees are upset that revival, healing, breakthrough is happening on the wrong day and in the wrong place and to the wrong person. I can just imagine what they're thinking. If anybody deserves healing, it's us, Jesus. We've kept all the rules. If anybody deserves breakthrough, it's us, Jesus. We've checked all the boxes. If anybody deserves revival, it's us, Jesus. We've done all the programs but the Pharisees are missing the point. The kingdom is established amongst people they would never choose, in places they would never go, and in seasons they would never pick. The kingdom belongs to the humble. The kingdom belongs to the poor. The kingdom belongs to the broken. The kingdom belongs to the widow, the orphan, the young, and the forgotten. No, we didn't choose God. He chose us and appointed us to produce good fruit that whatever we ask the Father, in Jesus' name, he would do on our behalf. See, the Bible says there was a man who was suffering. And here's my question today. How many people are suffering in the streets while religious people are arguing in the house? When Christ's going to return? Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? I'm pan-trib. It's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> Listen, you can spend your time arguing or you can spend your time harvesting. The choice is yours. I know what they say. We're too young. We're too loud. We're too charismatic. We're too poor. We don't got the resources. We don't got the staff. We don't got the experts. Yeah, but we got the oil. Grab everyone you can find. It's revival time time in the Northwest. Tell everyone you know, Jesus still brings healing to those who are suffering. And when the pain and trauma of someone's suffering is alleviated, it opens their soul for the divine healing of the gospel. Listen, friend, you will come into healing in your life when you make the decision to love God more than you love your trauma. Verse four, but they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into the well on a Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull them out? And they had nothing to say. In the New Testament, the Sabbath exists as a principle of rest that reminds God's people. God can do more in our resting than we can in our working. For God is the one who does not sleep nor does he slumber. Oh, we're gonna do our best. We're gonna honor God with every ounce of energy that we got, but at the end of the day, we're gonna trust that God is working in Seattle and Snohomish even when we're resting at night, for unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. I work at this church, but God built it. I prepare these sermons, but the Spirit delivers it. I set up these chairs, but God filled them. Sabbath means I trust God because he takes my natural, infuses it with his supernatural, and the result is exceedingly abundantly above anything that I could ever ask, think, or imagine. See, the rule for the Jews was that no work could be done on the Sabbath. 
So Jesus heals on the Sabbath to prove this point. Healing isn't work for God, it's the character of God. Everywhere he shows up, salvation, deliverance, and healing happens because it is the virtue that emanates from his presence. Hear me so clearly this morning. The power of Jesus isn't an idea that needs defended. It's a reality that needs to be released. For a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. I don't have time to debate healing. I've seen it. I don't have time to debate revival. We're having it. I'm not here to convince you of an idea. I'm here to introduce you to a person that your life would never be the same. And this is Jesus's critique of the religious leaders in Matthew 22. He replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. And friend, this is an environment, not where it is either or, but where it is both and. No, we go to the scriptures because it compels present day fidelity to the upward call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. When I read stories about Jesus healing a man who was suffering in the Pharisee's house, I am convinced that Jesus can heal people suffering in this house today. When I read about Jesus delivering those who are demonized in the gatherings, I am convinced that the devil flees when the name of Jesus is exalted. This is not just a historical record of what Jesus used to do. It is our blue print and our roadmap for what Jesus desires to do today. I will not apologize for the power of God. I will not apologize for believing in healing, salvation, and deliverance. We need God's power more today than we have ever needed it before. Now watch this. I love this. Jesus segues from confronting the religious leaders to healing a man who was suffering, to telling a story about what his father's kingdom is like. So Jesus told them a story. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Hear me, friend, not all seasons are created equal. Unless you understand the distinct time in which we live, you run the risk of saying four months and then the harvest when the fields are ready now. This is a divine moment of acceleration for the church in the Northwest. I felt it on Sunday night. I felt it when I saw that crowd marching from Red Square. I felt it when we cut that ribbon. I felt it when I waved that flag during worship. I feel it in the room this morning and I am convinced that the acceleration that is on this house will function as supernatural acceleration on your house because when the river of God begins to flow, the invitation is not for a select you, but instead, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. See, when Moses was standing at the burning bush, he heard a voice beckon him from the flames, and that was enough. When the boy Samuel was in the temple, 
he heard a voice that told him his future and that was enough when John was on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation, he heard a voice that said, come up higher, and that was enough. We planted this church eight years ago. We had a six-month-old. I had no salary, no insurance, no budget, no building, no crowds. The same shirt that I'm wearing in that picture is the same shirt I'm wearing today. But we had an invitation. I heard his voice and that was enough. And today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Give everything you have to this Jesus who is worthy of far more than you could ever imagine. This isn't just the season of divine acceleration for the church. It's the season of divine acceleration for your life, your family, your business, your dreams and aspirations. You have been invited and the season is now. And that's why the scriptures say that there is a blessing that is commanded from heaven on those who are planted in the house of God. Because when you're planted in the house of God, the same nutrients that are fueling this corporate revival will fuel revival in your own household as well. It's not just for Sunday morning, it's for Monday morning. It's not just for Monday morning, it's for Monday evening. It's not just for Tuesday morning or Tuesday night, but every day that you would walk with the fullness of God's glory, working in you and through you, bringing reconciliation and redemption to everywhere the sole of your foot treads. The anointing on this house, friend, I'm prophesying it is coming on your house into the increase of his kingdom and his government there will be no end now watch the invitation goes out but verse 18 tells us the response but they all alike begin to make excuses the first said I just bought a field I must go and see it please excuse me Another said, I, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on the way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't attend. Hear me, friend. The time for excuses has passed. You have been invited to the banqueting table of the lamb. It is not, I just bought a field. It is not, I just bought five oxen. It is not, I just got married because I can't attend. There is an open heaven invitation. The banqueting table is set and it is time to dine with the king. It is important that you hear me today. The scriptures are not diminishing the importance of business relationships, marriage, or work. You know, there's this old religious mindset that attempts to prove commitment by how much you neglect your personal life. That is not the point Jesus is trying to make. Jesus is saying, when the king's table is your priority, he will cause every other outstanding responsibility in your life to be properly aligned. It is not Jesus first and family second. It is not Jesus first and business second. It is Jesus at the center and every other facet of your life properly rotating around the centrality of Christ's preeminence. 
God is the creator of marriage. God is the provider of all resources. But when what God provides isn't properly submitted to the gravity of Christ's centrality, it runs the risk of becoming an idol in your life. You will always be too young until one day you are too old. You will always be too busy until one day you are too bored. In fact, you will always be too rich until one day you are too poor. I like what Benjamin Franklin once said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Watch how the story concludes. The servant came back and reported this to his master. The owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town, bringing the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And the master told his servant, fine, go out into the highways and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I know that it looks like this morning that there ain't an empty chair to spare. But friend, I'm here to tell you in the spirit, there is still room. There is still another family that doesn't have a church to call their own. There is still another prodigal yet to come back home. There is still another sick person who needs to be healed. There is still another bound person that needs to be set free. Oh, it was so packed on Sunday night. I'm sure we violated every fire code that existed, but I still couldn't help but here in my spirit there is still room there is still hope there is still a remnant people and what God desires to do friend it has just begun there is still room somebody asked me they said well pastor aren't you gonna be tired doing six services every Sunday yes how your voice going to hold up? Not sure. <clears throat> but I believe that whatever task God calls you to, he applies supernatural grace to your life to faithfully fulfill. So I'm just proclaiming over our team, our staff, our volunteers, our people, that we will run and not grow weary. We will rise on wings like eagles and soar. My God will supply everything we are in need of according to his riches and glory. Friend, we got six services now, but if it's that packed again on Sunday night, we're gonna add a seventh and an eighth and a ninth. Why? Because there is still room in the house of God for people to experience the power of God. And I'm here to tell you today, there is still room in your heart. There is still room in your spirit. There is still room in your family. There is still room in your life for more of God. There is still room in your mind for a fresh anointing. There is still room in your body for another healing. There is still room in this city, in this region, in this nation, and the invitation of the hour has just begun. Come and drink of a river that you would never thirst again. Come experience renewal that your life would never be the same. Make room, church, for God is sending them in by His Spirit and He has just begun to do His best work in this region. Come on, would you stand with me as we close this morning?
Come on, Fred, make room. And that's what we do in prayer and in, and in worship. We make room in our heart for the God who fills all things and all places at all times to move in and to take over. We're prophesying to the Northwest, make room. The King of glory is here. We're prophesying to the churches in this region, make room. There's another outpouring that's coming. Get ready, prepare yourself, steady yourself. Watch what God will do next. Let me pray for you today. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we make room in our hearts for the more of God. We make room in our spirits for your anointing to abide and continue to teach us in the way that we should go, that we would never depart from it. God, I thank you that you are sending people from the highways and the byways, the sick, the tormented, the broken, the lame, who are in need of a church that operates in Holy Ghost power. And God, we are saying today, there is room at our table, there is room in our community, there is room in this church for those who would hear the invitation of God to respond in this divine moment of acceleration. So we say, God, do your best work in our lives. Break down every religious box that has functioned as a roadblock to the things you would desire to do in us. And if you will be our God, we will be your people. We pray these things now in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, all God's people said amen.